Welcome to the First Impressions Podcast, the official podcast of the Forum of Incident Response and Security Teams. Every month, Chris John Riley and myself, Martin McKay, share informal conversations with security professionals from around the globe. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers alone, and any sarcasm you hear is purely intentional. For more information on FIRST or this podcast, please check out FIRST.org. So Chris and I are joined today by Drea London-Petter, Anthony Lehman, and Matush Bowowski from Sentinel-1. Drea, I'd like to start with you. Can you, first of all, give us uh, an idea of what it is that Sentinel-1 does and, and sort of where the, this conversation is coming from? So Sentinel-1 is a fully autonomous EDR solution um, for uh, small, medium, and, and enterprise business. So yeah, you know, basic endpoint uh, detection and response with um, our, our data set backend to support you know future XDR goals and, and enterprise needs. So as someone who doesn't spend his whole time working in that kind of realm, what is the difference between EDR and XDR? I think the most basic way to answer that question uh, is, you know, EDR really is more focused on the endpoint and XDR looking at the entire ecosystem of an enterprise. So being able to incorporate um, you know, whether it's log data or telemetry from other security solutions or infrastructure solutions to paint a, a better picture um, than just what's happening on the endpoint. Now, all three of you are involved following the threats and, and following what happens. You seen anything interesting lately? Anything you want to share? <laughs> Definitely hand that over to Matus. There's a couple of cases that I would love to actually give you, but I'm thinking that there's a, everything that is related to the current events is always the most interesting one, especially from the like you know geopolitical perspective. Right, very much. Uh, there is there is a there is a couple of actors that we all know and love for uh, doing uh, really interesting stuff. Let me actually go with two cases uh, with the two different actors, but in the in the countries that you would actually not think about that they might be affected, but they are. Uh, so this this first case, like let us say that the geolocation is the Middle East and uh, one of the Arabic countries, and the environment is uh, well pretty important from the local politics and and economic perspective in some sort. And we are investigating this this environment. At one point, we are starting to asking a questions like uh, the process that I really like when we are working at Fred Hunt with uh, with a customer and with the, the staff is like starting to understand like what can be a potential for the threat, like who might be interested in, in actually attacking and trying to actually get the mindset of that and, and trying to take a look from the larger perspective, not only from the like you know cyber perspective, but from the general perspective. Timeframe here is the beginning of the Russian invasion on Ukraine and uh, starting when, when, when all of the sanctions are actually starting to be, to be happening. Once that actually, like, you know, you're having in mind, the other part is starting to be a more obvious. So we are starting looking for who can be targeting this potential customer environment and why they can actually do that. And we are starting doing like a couple of exercises at the same time. So the first one is with the internal and everything that we are looking with and, and, and seeing with the uh, agent data itself with the customer and everything that we know from the outside on the customer. And we are starting to seeing patterns uh, with the activities. And the patterns starting with the very not sophisticated actions in the general social media realm, 
then they're actually moving into a more like you know questions about the environment itself from the well interesting places in uh, in uh, near to moscow and then we are actually seeing uh seeing activities against the endpoint itself and we are seeing uh, uh, like you know activities in the dark web and, uh, and and with the initial access brokers uh who are actively looking for either trying to to sell the credentials to the to the environment or trying to actually acquire them them by themselves which is a non typical not not very typical activities but they do that and and we have seen that for for a couple of time and and we can see that pattern from like you know the when the activity is starting rising with the with the uh, everything that happened after february 24th and when the first section started to kicking in and when there was first like you know discussions like how the russian economy will will actually react how it will be working with the increase of the activity against the customer environment now that's being said you can you can probably guess what was the industry here and why why it was so 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 important based on that we can almost on daily see the new things that they're actually adding and they're actually trying to 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 get in the environment uh though the customer would never expect an attack from this side they were actually pretty pretty like you know surprised with that and and when we actually started the discussion with a customer they were like we would never think that the russians will actually target us because we're not usual target for them because of that we we need to actually start uh like you know changing our policies and now one of the activities that we had there obviously this is a company that is having an offices in multiple places on the on the planet one of the office is in russia because this is not something that they want to block or or, or actually like you know discontinue from the perspective of the operational perspective you can just see the patterns on the on what is happening in the environment and that's starting with like you know people starting installing stuff to exfiltrate the data even like a typical day-to-day -day activities and 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 software just very typical for russia then you are starting to seeing people collecting the data in the environment and actually starting to like you know encapsulate them zip them and 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 start preparing for the bedtime kind of a winter coming situation and then you are seeing uh, those same users starting to try and like you know very quietly exfiltrate the data to the to the places that they know that are way about they like above the jurisdiction of the western or or anybody else that that only a russian and the russian government actually have an access and you can see this pattern here like more western or west itself it's actually hitting the russia and more sanction you are seeing then there is some more activities that you are seeing across this particular industry and you can see how they are very interested to actually like you know compromise anything that they can actually that like you know put their hands on and there is a one target if the oil is expensive or remaining to be expensive if they having a leverage to actually do that those kind of activities or or having an, any kind of access to the environments with the with the nations that do produce here it's better from for for Russia, especially from the from the perspective of economy. So uh, that's uh, that's one of the patterns that I actually lately seeing very very often. Yeah, I think I mean the geopolitical stuff super interesting, and um, 
I don't know anybody that knows more about it, frankly, than Matush. But I think from an attack trend perspective, so looking at like what my team has been responding to lately, we've seen a pretty like significant increase in Quackbot activity in the last couple of weeks. That activity has had peaks and valleys for the last you know, few months, um, but that's been a significant increase, uh, obviously keeping us busy. Black Basta activity has been increasing a lot of, I mean, I'd say probably 80% of the case volume. Remember, my team is the incident response team that works for Sentinel One. So, um, you know, we're getting the, the cases that, that we look at. I'd say probably 80, 85% of the, that case volume is ransomware and that that doesn't change. But yeah, I mean, you know, we said we, we see our typical activities targeting telcos, all sorts of um, you know, APT attacks that uh, either our intelligence and research teams are running down or come directly to us. But I would say, yeah, I mean, if, if we just look in the last 14 to 21 days, the things that kind of stand out to me, Quackbot, Quackbasta, uh, Matuj, Anthony, I don't know if you guys have anything that you've seen a lot of just very recently. No, I'm thinking well, that you actually named the, 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 the biggest one right now. So, so that's that's exactly what we're seeing uh, as well. Like uh, ransomware is here, will be here, and and it's gonna stay here, which is which is laugh of the history itself. Because when it was invented in the first place, it was it was uh, more for a joke than anything else. I found it very interesting that you mentioned how th there's a change in the patterns where you're seeing more people actually targeting companies and, and looking for those passwords. Because I I did a fair amount of work on reports about being the target. And that was almost always everything we saw was just the reuse of the password files, the billions, billion password files that are out there. So it's interesting to hear somebody coming from mm -hmm. the other direction and seeing more of people trying to get in and get that data. I'm, I'm thinking that they're both connected. Like, like you cannot have one without, uh, without the other. And I'm thinking that there is usage in every single use case that I'm working with. It's a usage for a one and another approach. It's depending on the stage and it's depending on the, on the, like, you know, what is the end goal? Uh, though one thing that I actually observe with this, like, you know, more sophisticated action where you are having like a human being kind of involved in that, not not like a, in an automatic way, is that the goals are actually very, are very fluid and very changing rapidly. So it's depending on what they can actually put their hands on and how stealthy they can, they can remain in the organization. That's, that's very thing. But on the other hand, like I, when you are observing the trends and it's like, RDP is one of my favorite one. Like, uh, like uh, that—that's uh, that's when you are having both of those situations. When you are seeing a reuse of the brute, for brute forcing, and this is like how the uh, initial access brokers, especially from Russia, love to 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 get the, get the access to. So, so by like you know just spamming on and brute forcing the 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 RDP server with with just known passwords or the passwords that were stolen during during some, some other campaign and actually keeping this particular entry and and selling it to other uh which is which is kind of a situation situation by by itself and then you are seeing like you know nation states that are actually buying those data or getting them for free as a as a part of the like you know handlers favor or like we keep you protected you're here under our like you know protection so we need to have something something from it and especially for the industries that are like you know kind of interesting from the from the nation state it's a it's a very typical typical situation just to give you a, a sample from the 
three weeks ago. We had a situation that uh, in one of the Central American countries, we spotted out an activity going out from, from one of the hosts, uh, bouncing through a couple of reels, but at the end of the day going to uh, China and actually going to almost nowhere, like a almost middle of desert uh, in, in China. And you would be like, you know, wondering what, what the hell is happening? It's like, what's there? Like there should be nothing there. And then, then you are actually just discovering that, yes, this is a Chinese IP address, but it's actually very frequently changing the location. And, uh, and, and then we started doing a more investigation about this entire infrastructure. And we connected that with a, like, you know, a very specific APT group uh, that we were able to actually tell the, the, the story. But yet again, this is a very typical situation when the reuse of, of something that is already there. Is, is being like, you know, this first step, then you are having collection of anything else in the uh, organization, and then try to actually like, you know, monetize on, on, on what you are having there. Unless you are actually working against the LTO, so long-term operation, which is which is a little bit different story. And, and then this is usually trying to achieve persistence as much as is possible. And, and just observe what is happening with the with the organization. That's that's usually when you are seeing something like that, you know that the situation is very very bad. Uh, it's it's probably easier when somebody is just trying to sell like you know your accesses, and that's it uh, for for ransomware groups or or anybody else. So you, you mentioned you know how there's actors out there broadly looking at what they can brute force, what they can get access to, and then reselling that information. But then also that crossing over into nation states, then buying that information in order to progress their operations as well. It's an interesting yeah. dichotomy. Is, are the nation states telling the broad actors, this is the kind of thing we're looking for, let us know? Or are mm -hmm. the nation states just taking advantage of what's available on the market and saying, we want to attack this sector in these regions, as soon as there's data in that area, just buy it and we'll use it. What drives what, or is it very much hand in hand? It it will be depending on the first on the like you know who is the nation state here, like how much leverage they do have against uh, whoever is actually owning the. It's like sometimes it will be just a purely business operation when they will be buying because they are having almost zero leverage on whoever is actually selling it. They probably don't know the IOB. They 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 probably having very limited abilities to actually work with them, but they are still interested in this particular access. So they want to get that information. Therefore they will be willing to actually pay for it. Then if that's somebody that they knowing and this is like a case in uh, in, in in Russia that's very typical case that uh, there is a handler government stop where does the the criminal element begin you don't know i'm i'm guessing that it's yeah that's uh that's a that's a that's a problem because many of those guys are actually cooperating each other arm to arm that it's very difficult to actually tell the difference it's a similar it's a similar problem to like the, the manufacturing of copyright um you know cisco mm -hmm. equipment and things like that it's like during the day they make legitimate cisco equipment and then when when they clock off in the evening they use the same equipment to make knockoff cisco equipment right or other manufacturers yeah. equipment yeah. same with bags and things like that it's it's hard to tell who's the bad guy versus the good guy when well, if there is a good guy in this case which it probably isn't um is <laughs> is that they're both basically the same people it just depends what hat they're wearing what time of day it is and who paid the bill last month yeah, and and yet again, like uh, Russia is very specific here. Like they do having an interest in keeping those, even if they are not 
like you know on the on the government payroll in terms of being official officer in the GRU, FSB, or, or any other organization, uh, they are still having a handler, which is like technically uh, somebody in the in one of those organizations that are just like you know having a contact to you and reminding you that if you will be not doing what you are supposed to do, you are starting to be an enemy of the state, and that's not a cool thing in Russia. Uh, usually ending up with gulag or yeah, something. Just don't attack our our infrastructure, and we'll yeah. be fine. Right. It's like this is exactly the reason why the like you know Russian keyboard or Cyrillic and Syrian Arabic is one of the typical things that you're looking for when when try, trying to get the attribution for any new malware that that you are actually getting. Like I'm guessing Dra can actually tell a little bit more here uh, from from that perspective in, in in terms of that that kind of attribution. But but that's one of the key factors that you are you are saying. Like you are seeing those and you are oh this is probably a Russian based actor mainly because they know what's going to happen if they're going to hurt mad russia actually that's a that's a great segue for Andreas. i'd like to hear more about this attribution how, how some of the the indicators are because when we go back five or, or or even less years we just get so much of it that's you're just going to have to take our word for it rather than clear attribution and why the decisions were made it's true that uh, attribution used to be a lot more uh, a lot more difficult to really finitely determine. I mean, we we have an intelligence team that has you know they they definitely assist us with attribution. That being said, you know we also oftentimes see the the same threat actors um, over and over. So then it becomes somewhat a little bit simplified. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as far as how we determine that, uh, we we have we have several threat intelligence feeds that our threat intel team uses. And actually Matush's team um, ha has a, you know, a, a functionality behind that as well. They do a report once a month um, from Watchtower where they look at, really honestly, they, they highlight the cases where we are comfortable with attribution and talk about behaviors of those threat actors, what we've seen lately. So um, it has become something that I don't want to say is necessarily more simple, but I think there's so much more telemetry now in, in our enterprise and in fed into to the solutions that we have that we have a, a better picture and therefore better confidence. My naive view on this is it's become, as you mentioned, it's a lot more commonplace to be able to tie this down to a specific type of actor or a specific acting group. Is there still value in that? I mean, other than saying if if this group are in your network, there's likely some more TTPs that are going to be interesting for us to look at. But other than saying this is definitely Russia, this is definitely China, this is definitely this group running out of the Middle East, what what's the benefit in us tagging these anymore? Yeah, so I think... I mean, obviously, in a ransomware situation, you're going to probably know who the threat actor is because they're going to want you to pay them, and they're going to, you know, put, probably post stuff on their on their, their blogs, etc. They, so, they want their money, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that that's that's the you know put that over on the shelf. And if you're looking at other other um, th threat actors, you know, if there's question about intent, obviously having attribution can be interesting. We have seen you know several industry type breaches, and so I think. Being able to work with ISACs or industry peers, a lot of times having that information to share can help protect the industry more as a whole when you have a better idea of attribution. Sure, it may not 
completely change your enterprise response because an incident is an incident. And, and there's certainly certain industries where um, it's quite clear what an ABT actor might be after. But, um, but you know, everybody has a little bit of a different purpose and intent. And um, the more clarity you have behind that, the more targeted the approach to your response will be. And again, you know, just basic information sharing within the industry, I think, is something we're starting to see in the last five or six years, especially, really um, become more prevalent, um, and and uh, you know, yeah, I think that that helps out the world as a whole. One of the reasons we're talking is because Sentinel One is a, a one of the bigger sponsors for the first conference, and I think that goes directly into what you just said of that information sharing, that building the connections, is vitally important to not just our industry but the world as a whole. Definitely. I mean, you, you, you've seen the political responses from, you know, major leaders uh, over the last year, especially, you know, here in, in the States with, you know, different executive orders coming from the administration and um, uh, the, the major push from the government to enforce better security within the enterprise. Uh, and I think, you know, again, a part of that comes down to information sharing, um, great, you know, products and solutions, having a layered approach to security all of the stuff that security professionals like ourselves are going to champion uh, any opportunity that we have. Um, but the more you know, the more educated your response can be, and the more efficient you will become. So, so yeah, I mean, it's a long way to go back to is attribution as important as it once was, but, um, but I think that those are all vi viable um, responses. While we're, while we're talking about the subject of the executive orders that are coming out and hardening systems and making things harder to attack. On one hand, we're talking about brute forcing RDP servers that are sitting on the internet. On the other hand, we're talking about threat hunting within networks, using XDR to try and get all your logs together and bring together all this information. It seems like there's a huge gap between people who have got their stuff in order, they have their logs, they have their endpoint protection, they know and they have visibility, all the way down to you have a Windows server sitting on the internet with the password one, two, three. That's such a big gap that seems concerning to me as a, as a security professional, um, professional in brackets. There's such a big gap there. Where, where do we go from here? You know, is there, is there hope? <laughs> it, it's a, it's a, it, that's a very decent point. And it's a pretty big landscape of opportunity. I think, you know, starting somewhere is, is great endpoint protection, you know, just, just because I work at Sentinel One, but endpoint protection is an excellent uh, first step. I mean, if you think about uh, old technology being antivirus and, you know, EDR really coming around to replace that, I think it's, it resonates with people to recognize that that's a decent first step in the right direction. But obviously, a layered approach to security is what any, again, any security expert would would champion um you know one of the things that matush's team does is compromise assessments and i think this is just hygienically a really good thing for um all companies regardless of size to do really looking for opportunities for improvement in security posture hygiene um, sometimes that might point you in the direction of a new security solution but sometimes that also is just uh, identifying un, you know unknown vulnerabilities and I don't necessarily mean vulnerabilities with a CVSS score but you know poor configurations whatever that might be so you know I think exercises like that are an excellent step in the direction to kind of close that big gap but I think yeah for sure the next few years are going to be an interesting um, move into the security the security space for a lot of companies that maybe haven't considered or prioritized that before 
Yeah, so I, I would add to here a one thing that I'm like, you know, is going with my experience here. The, the largest problem of the security is usually just the people that are working working with it and not necessarily IT or or the security team at, itself because they usually know what they're doing. The problem is when you are having like, I don't know, 100,000 K, K like, you know, computers at the company, which 90% are laptops right now working in home, remote offices, like whatever you, you, you will actually like, you know, having that, it's very difficult task to actually secure that. One of the things that is striking me every single time is like the imagination of the human as a species on like how I can make my security team life even worse than it is right now. And uh, and and this is this can be like anything. Like I'm I'm having uh, endless stories when the entire infrastructure compromise started with the you know downloading uh, a pirated version of the some torrent binary, whatever, on or trying to avoid proxy setting that you are having in your organization by using some some additional ninja-like proxy, and that is really nicely deciphering your your entire traffic. Even I think that the less savvy users in the in the organization are actually doing with the like you know keeping passwords in the text files. Like come on, Sony case was not that far you know away from here. It's like what ten years, twelve years right now. I'm guessing, and I'm having that feeling that people never learn. Like seriously, every single time I'm just like, oh, here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. Oh, and this is by the way accessible by anybody in the network. Like cool. Where this is actually leading us? Oh, LDAP, nice. Uh, so, so that's a kind of uh, stories that that you are having, or people just going whenever they 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 actually want to go and and trying to figure it out. Oh, is this in this water hole? There is an alligator that will chop off my head. Most likely, yes. So, why you are going there? But uh, it's, it's 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 what it is. With the endpoint, you do have this visibility to actually see that. Like. Uh, I, I have this privilege to actually live and work with the hunting for a long time when we started with the network-based hunting, if you remember that. Then we actually started with more CM-like activities with the application layer, which was far from being perfect. Then the endpoints started to be actually showing up and being a thing, and then you had this amazing ability to see what is on the system level layer. And then you are having, like, you know, right now XDR, where you can combine system plus application and coming on 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 this absolutely fantastic view on 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 what's what's what else is there, and and that's giving us a absolutely powerful uh, abilities to actually hunt. And every single time when I'm doing a hunting exercise with the customer, there is always something. Better than that, we do have we do have this kind that we're repeating the exercises with the customers and like I'm seeing a progress and at one point there is like a dec decline and I'm like what happened oh somebody in the security changed the job so somebody else took took over and and you can immediately see the point in time when when there was this transition happening and 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 that's something that well we're just humans and and we can expect that I think um another kind of like a good a good story just 
from an EDR perspective and, and recognizing again, you know, we're a little bit more services oriented. So we have access to, um, you know, Sentinel-1 telemetry on the endpoints that we manage. And so, I mean, that's like five, six million, I think at this point, so it's an absurd number that grows every day, but that telemetry gives us a lot of visibility that we would otherwise not have. have. And I don't know, I, I think it's a really good story, Matush, and I don't want to steal your thunder because it definitely came from your team but there was a um, you know several fortinet vulnerabilities that were um, publicized widely about last year including an fbi flash report and really we were able to, to identify that activity via mdr telemetry really early on in fact um, we had identified that hunted globally for that activity within our customer environments and written a full report um, from Watchtower to our customers about a month before the FBI flash report came out. And so I think it's really interesting when you look at these endpoint solutions like our own and the amount of information that you can get and the telemetry you can use from an intelligence perspective, again, going all, going back to things like attribution, uh, has really um, moved up the needle as far as our, our visibility to, to threat actors worldwide. But but yeah, I don't know, Matush, if you've got anything to share there, I'm sure there's more. Oh, I do. And uh, and as I can, you did not steal my thunder. I really love those stories. You know, when we are seeing something way beyond, like, you know, or way before uh, this kind of stuff. But just to give you uh, something that we lately uh, have seen. So we have been working with uh, Redline as a stuff that we actually take a look at and try to figure it out what more we can we can actually look for. And that was one of our hypotheses that we were going against this particular campaign. And then we actually discovered that the, the actors that are using that also utilizing other tools uh, like Amade or Eternity to actually provide the campaign. So you are seeing like a, this shift of the mentality when the usually the whoever was running the the show was using a one tool concentrating on one tool and just trying to like you know get as much as possible to the point when you are seeing multiple tools from the multiple different i would say vendors <laughs> being utilized in the same campaign and you can tell that because mainly because of the attribution that we we, we actually like you know were able to to provide like if you are seeing same network infrastructure used by three different tools like you know, this is not one attacker utilizing three different uh, ways to actually get into your environment. Now, this is also a shift in the way how how those are being sell in the market. How you can actually get access to it because previously, especially with the Russian base and Brazilian base tooling that that you were able to actually get, it it was kind of like you signed it with the one tool deal, and that was all. Like you like you you did not try to sign with anybody else uh, because it was kind of really bad for your business. And you did not get the, like those people were actually knowing each other, competing very hardly. And that's why like, you know, this, this, this market was pretty close. Uh, now that's a totally different story and you can actually see that change in the mentality. So if that's on the market right now and the private, institutions are actually doing that like i'm i'm expecting this also being a part of the nation state uh, as well even if not for for gaining like a capital or anything alike is just to actually like you know confuse the defenders 
So we've been talking a lot about what we've seen, right? What the, what's been going on in the last couple of years? I guess you get this question all the time. What's next, right? Where where are we going now? Is it just more ransomware hell, or, or is there some light at the end of that tunnel? What do you think the next six to twelve months holds for us? <laughs> I was just going to say ransomware hell. So why don't we go ahead and move? On? No, I, don't, I I I mean I I don't know that I there, you know I think there's going to be shifts. There's going to be you know changing of hands from threat actors and you know. We, we've seen a lot of that in the last year or two where there's whether it's renaming or 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 reorging however you want to perceive it i do think we'll see some of the same uh, that the geo the geopolitical stuff's going to play a role you know i know we saw a little bit of a dip um right after uh the war in ukraine s- started from ransomware activity that's that's really not the case anymore but um you know i think a lot of things may have impacted the the efforts coming out of Russia for some time. I, I think it's possible that 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 there may be additional impacts um, in the coming months as that war plays out and we see what happens there. Um, but I don't know that I see any big material change. Um, I, I don't know if Matus has a different perspective. I'm hoping obviously that some of the you know the the, the government pushes into um, you know, better security postures will have a longer term effect. But I don't know that I see that happening in 12 to 18 months. I think even just looking at enterprise budgets and how things like that work, it takes a little bit longer for that impact to be realized. But but Matus, you know, as far as what you're seeing, I'd be curious. Yeah, so I would agree that from like for the masses or, or in the masses perspective, the ransomware will stay here. That's that's an opportunistic attack that is giving you a very good like, you know, return in investment. It's a it's a simple matter uh, here. So so more you can infect, more you can actually like you know uh, do it. Uh, but I'm thinking that with the LTOs, we will see an increase in sophisticated actions from the from the national or nation state actors, mainly because right now the finally nations or I don't know if that's a good word here, but uh, uh, nations starting to training a large units to actually both defend and attack. You can see that on Ukraine and what the Ukrainian unions are actually doing against the Russians, but you can do that in every single other part of the world. Like previously you had US, Russia, China, and Israel. Right now, every larger country with a decent budget will have those kind of units and we will be seeing more and more those 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 types of activities around, around the globe. Well, with that, bright and cheery view of the next <laughs> next six to 12 months. I'd like to thank everyone from Sentinel One for joining us on the call. Thank you very much. Um, thanks again for being a diamond sponsor for, for the event. So thank you very much for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, thank you. Thank you for listening to the First Impressions podcast and thanks to this week's guest. You can find Chris John Riley on Twitter at Chris John Riley, all one word. You can find me, Martin McKay, on Twitter at MCKEAY. And you can find the first organization at first.org. F I R S T D O T O R G. You can also find more information about First and the First Impressions podcast at first.org. Thanks again for listening.